1: The Slate Political Gabfest is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code GABFEST. And by Blue Apron. Create delicious homemade meals in 35 minutes or less. Visit blueapron.com slash gabfest to get your first two meals for free. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to a special GabFest extra, 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 extra for March 2nd, 2015. That really was a Super Tuesday edition. I'm David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. Jamel Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent, joins me from New York. Hello, Jamel. Hello. How are you doing?
2: I am very, very tired. I've been up uh, a long time uh, following these insane results uh, from Tuesday.
1: Good. Well, we'll talk about that right now, or just as soon as I say. We will have a regular GabFest 2 this week on Friday. John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I will do a regular show. But for now, we have a super Tuesday treat. Uh, We will start with the Republicans, because they're more interesting and crazier. So, Jamel, um... So there's a theory – the theory of the case is actually this is the best possible result for Trump, even better than kind of running the table because all of his rivals are going to stay in the race after this. Is that uh, Does that make sense to you?
2: That makes sense to me. Everyone winning a little something. Cruz winning Texas and Oklahoma. Rubio winning the great state of Minnesota. And Kasich, I guess, doing very well in Vermont but not quite winning – gives him all a reason to stay in. And by dividing any potential anti-Trump vote, I want to say potential because there's no guarantee that if other candidates are winnowed out, that Trump won't benefit somewhat from the departure of other people. So as long as that vote of not Trump is divided, Trump retains really the lion's share of the Republican primary vote, upwards of 40%, despite the fact that when you compare Trump to previous frontrunners. He's actually a bit weaker than he looks. Looking at the numbers from last night, I think it's very clear how you could beat Trump. It's just that there's no one in the Republican field capable of doing it. But it's really not difficult to imagine even someone like Mitt Romney having the credibility across the party to be able to successfully challenge and beat Trump. Well, is
1: it just that they've gotten onto this too late? Is it that the three uh, or four remaining candidates are not, in fact, that person who could do it? That was what Jeb Bush was supposed
2: to be, right? No, I don't. So I don't. I'm I'm like I I feel like I'm I'm this voice of uh, not just Jeb Bush skepticism, but like what, who, like what faction of the party Jeb Bush represented. I think from the beginning, Jeb Bush was a donors' candidate, and that was abundantly clear, and that was, and he never was anything more than that. The only reason why anyone thought so is because donors happen to have a pretty large mic- large mouthpiece as far as sort of national media goes. I think that part of the problem is that the entire Republican Party decided it would be a good idea to not seriously challenge Trump on his core claims about himself for eight months and essentially allow Trump to build up. Um, a strong reservoir of goodwill among his supporters, and by attempting to bind Trump to the Republican Party through pledges, through sort of the recurring refrain that every Republican will vote for the eventual nominee, they legitimize Trump. Here we are now, and to many voters, Trump is a completely legitimate choice. What what should they have
1: knocked him down with eight months ago? What would have been the strategy eight months ago uh, to have— taken him out.
2: The, the strategy eight months ago would have been to directly challenge the his sort of myth about himself. One refrain I've often heard from Trump voters is that he's already wealthy and successful. Why would he need to be president? So that becomes sort of on its face evidence that Trump is selfless in some regards, and that he is successful, that he is a, a the greatest dealmaker ever in that he'll bring that talent to the United States. Um, none of those things are true. Rubio brought this up, and I think it was a right choice, and it was just too late. Um, from Trump University to a variety of failed Trump businesses to the widely held suspicion that Trump isn't nearly as uh, wealthy as he says he is. I mean, it was entirely possible for Republicans in September or in August to start every week, airing a different ad showing a different person screwed yeah. by Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, but but Jamel, I mean that's a that's a hindsight twenty twenty argument if I've ever heard one. I don't, in th- August, I, don't pe- think, I don't think I don't it's a hindsight twenty twenty pe- argument. People in, in August, people were were still believed this campaign was a was would a flame out. B was a joke. Well, then and in and October, also there was no there was also there was also in the game theory of it. There was no one person for whom it was worth it to do it. Like there may have been the the collective – it was a tragedy of the commons problem. For the collective, it was certainly probably worth it. But for no individual candidate was it worth it. They would have had to suffer. They would have had to – it would have been the murder-suicide. And who would have done that?
2: Maybe that's right. Because I see Trump as like extremely dangerous, I guess I'm just sort of like very frustrated that the Republican Party or – Key decision makers in the Republican Party, including its presidential candidates, were so short-sighted and so arrogant to think that there's nothing they need to do about this demagogue building strength in their party. And now it's going to be left to the rest of us to do something about it, if we even can, which I think we can. How
1: do you think uh, th- the fact of his like deep, creepy racism is going to affect him as as the GOP
2: nominee if he gets there I think it will have two broad effects the first is that I do think it will mobilize non-white voters like few other things could having a candidate who wants to deport 11 million unauthorized immigrants who refuses to disavow the Klan is kind of the perfect recipe for getting black turnout and Latino turnout, and Asian American turnout high, and then for Democrats winning the like not just the lion's share but you know close to all of their votes. I think part of Donald Trump's success is that he is actually loosening taboos about the use of racist rhetoric in public and. There are a lot of people eager to embrace it, in part because they don't see that rhetoric as racist, they see it as simply common sense that's been kept down by political, politically correct elites. I don't quite know how Trump will do it in a general election, I have my hunches, but I do think that he may end up at least increasing his share, relative to Mitt Romney, of white voters, simply because I think there's a, a non-trivial portion of the electorate that will come out to vote for a racist.
1: What is it that the GOP establishment can do to make the racist part go away?
2: Um, I mean, at this point, assuming Trump is well on his way to becoming the nominee, I think the only thing he can do is just to not support him. <laughs> is- If you definitively want to beat Trump in a general election, if the Republican establishment, such that it is, decides to itself, it would rather hand the presidency to Hillary Clinton than allow Trump to essentially establish himself as the leader of the Republican Party and Trumpism as its new creed, then you just have to say, all right, we're not going to support Donald Trump. Do you think Um, we're
1: going to have an 1860 rump? I mean, are we going to do that where we're going to have different parties? Parties are going to split. Because of this? Do you really think that the, that the GOP establishment, which is so invested in victory, is going to be willing to say, okay, you know what? We're just going to toss this one away. We're just going to give this one up, completely disavow him, and try to hold the Senate?
2: You know, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I would hope for the good of us all, Republican elites uh, see Trump as dangerous and decide to just say, we're not going to vote for him, we're not going to support him, which I think would free up. A lot of re- Republican voters to allow themselves at least not to vote. They don't have to vote for Hillary Clinton, but just to sit this one out. But I don't
1: know. Going to the practicalities of how Trump gets to be the nominee. Do you? Are there credible scenarios remaining whereby he does not get to be the nominee? What and what
2: are they? They are if so. The the next major set of Republican primaries is on March fifteenth, and those are the the big winner take all primaries. And so in Ohio. In Michigan and Florida, uh, voters will go to the polls, and whoever wins those states, whether it's a majority or not, gets all the delegates, and those are you know hundreds of delegates at stake. If we get to March fifteenth, and Rubio wins Florida, and Kasich wins Ohio and Michigan, or or some combination like that, someone other than Trump wins each of each one of these, then I think there's a plausible way to stop his domination, and you do it in a convention fight, because Trump will not be able to get enough delegates to win on first ballot. If that happens, if Republicans manage to stop Trump's nomination at the convention, then they have essentially forfeited the general election, because you will have a lot of very angry Trump voters who see that he won most of the votes, who see that he won most of the states, and is only not winning the nomination because of a technicality. That will doom the party's odds but it's it's a totally i think a a plausible um outcome other than that i don't think there's really one to stop him i think it's very clear that if you wanted to stop trump early on the choice you should have made was to throw your weight behind cruz who seems to be the only one who knows how to fight him and how to beat him no one else does
1: God, that's an unappealing choice.
2: <laughs> let's
1: um, let's close the Republican section just with a few words about Trump's strange victory press conference. Which actually, the the strangest part of which was Chris Christie, who has Chris Christie has now not merely endorsed Trump, but seems to have have uh, attached himself remora like to Trump, and yet it w- looked deeply uncomfortable at the Trump press conference yesterday. What what do you make of their strange relationship?
2: Yeah, that was really strange. That was, I mean, I just want to say real quickly, it was very bizarre to watch Chris Christie sort of like caught in this existential panic. You know, I think that's actually a warning to potential Trump endorsees in the Republican Party which is that you may think you're joining Team Trump as a partner, but what you are actually joining it as uh, is a a minion or a supplicant that you're there to be shown and not really to say anything. Because, man, did Chris Christie just look beaten down by his decision? I'll say about the substance of Trump's little, I think, intentionally stays to look vaguely presidential press conference. He took a conciliatory and, uh, you know, more moderate turn. And I think that has convinced a lot of people that he would be a successful general election candidate. But everyone, no one looks as good as they do after victory. Uh, and I, I myself am skeptical that, uh, the kind of candidate who won't disavow white supremacists is somehow, uh, extremely viable to win in November. Just, If that's the case, then I think we're all much worse off than we think.
1: All right, let's leave it there. Now let's hear a word from our first sponsor this week, which is Stamps.com. We live in an on-demand world. It's never been easier to get your work done with a click of a button. So why should you lose that efficiency when it comes to your mailing and shipping needs? You don't have to, thanks to Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer. Then just hand your mail to the mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. You'll never have to go to the post office again. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code GABFEST for a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GABFEST. That's Stamps.com. Enter GABFEST. Let's move on to the Democrats' who also had a Super Tuesday last night, but it was a lot less super. It was much less interesting, but still important. The conclusion of Super Tuesday, I think, is that Hillary Clinton is in very, 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 very good shape to move on to the nomination. The Sanders campaign seems to... got a few wins last night. where did they win? Jamel, they won uh, his home state of Vermont, Minnesota. Minnesota, Vermont,
2: Colorado, and Oklahoma.
1: And Oklahoma, Oklahoma. But that Sanders doesn't seem to be able to get beyond – it doesn't seem to be able to make any inroads with non-white voters. What did you make of Hillary's pretty good, solid performance across the South yesterday?
2: You have one candidate who has devoted a lot of resources to cultivating and building ties in a community in which she's already well-liked and favored. and one candidate, who simply didn't have the time or the resources to do this, and we're looking at the predict- predictable consequences of that. Um Unfortunately, uh, for Bernie Sanders, you can't win a national primary in the Democratic Party without taking at least some share of the black vote. Probably upward to about forty or fifty percent. You have to at least get that high because black voters are such a, a critical part of the Democratic Party electorate. They're they're almost the the center of it. You can't win without them. Primaries or national elections. I, it- it's a weird,
1: uh, I don't know what to make of this, that Hillary Clinton won, seems to maybe have clinched her her nomination yesterday by winning Democratic votes in states where the Democrats have no chance of winning in the general election. Isn't there some kind of odd thing that happens where you primary you can sort of lock in primary victories by winning in states which actually are not battleground states? Which are not even not not just not battleground states, not states that, that actually even could provide electoral votes to you. Yeah,
2: you know, I don't think so because I don't think the purpose of the primary is to begin to test out the electability of a various candidate. Because even if you did even if you do win in a state that is a battleground state that doesn't say anything about your ability to win win in the general election, Mitt Romney won Virginia pretty handily in the twenty twelve primary and lost it pretty handily. Uh, I I think the purpose of primaries is to give all the party's voters a chance to participate and have a say in who they want to nominate. And for the Democratic Party, which is hugely reliant on black voters, um, you you take black voters out of the equation and Democrats cannot win national elections. I think it's actually very appropriate to give black voters, although they are concentrated in in red states, an outsized voice because they are an outsized force in the Democratic Party.
1: What do you think the Sanders campaign is going to do for the next few months? Is he going to keep campaigning, even though it's clear he has no chance, and and serve as a as a prod and and a strong voice for his causes around inequality in particular, or is
2: he going to fold up? I hope he stays in. I mean, at, at, during his victory speech, he says he intends to go all the way to Philadelphia, which is where Democrats are holding their convention. Um, I hope he stays in. I think he has the money and resources, to. I think it keeps uh, Hillary Clinton on her toes as a presumptive nominee. So, you know, he's not going to win the nomination. I just don't see a path to that for him, um, barring some catastrophic collapse among Hillary Clinton. But I think he should stay in. I see no reason for him to leave leave the race. Should
1: Democrats be at all concerned about the relatively weak turnout compared to the Republicans, or is that a complete, uh, complete uh, canard, a complete red herring for the general?
2: I, you know, I think that's a red herring, and it's not like a it's not a red herring that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it sort of seems to make intuitive sense that if you have high turnout in your primary, you'll do, you're in good shape for the general. But if you actually just look at primary turnout numbers since nineteen 19- Seventy-two or really nineteen seventy-six, when uh, the modern system kind of got uh, solidified, there's there's no relationship at all. And so one of my favorite tidbits about this is that before two thousand eight, the highest Democratic primary turnout was in nineteen eighty-eight. Twenty-three million Democrats voted in that primary, and Michael Dukakis went on to be humiliated by George H. W. Bush. On the other side. The, uh, record tr- Republicans had record turnout for their primaries in 2000. And while George Bush won that election, it wasn't through the popular vote. All primary turnout tells us is the degree to which primary voters or party voters are excited to choose a nominee, but it doesn't really give us any gauge into how that nominee will, will perform once they're in the general election. Thank you,
1: Jamel Bowie, for Helping out on this Gabfest Extra, as I said, we will have a regular Gabfest for you on Friday, too. Jamel, have a a good rest of the week. Thank you. Same to you. Now let's hear a word from our next sponsor this week, which is Blue Apron. You need to know how to cook. Knowing your way around a kitchen is important, and cooking at home means eating healthier and saving money instead of ordering expensive takeout again. But where do you start? Blue Apron has you covered. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Just follow the easy step-by-step instructions. Each meal can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. No overwhelming trips to the grocery store. No more sad takeout. No matter your dietary preferences, Blue Apron makes it a breeze to discover and prepare dishes like adobo-style chicken with bok choy and jasmine rice right in your own kitchen. Cook with ingredients you've never used before, like watermelon radishes, farro, and purple potatoes. And recipes are between 500 to 700 calories per portion, so they're delicious and good for you. Right now, you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com gabfest. That's blueapron.com slash gabfest. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Thanks, Blue Apron. Now let's go to the credits. Our intern is L. Biscard Church. Our producer is Jocelyn Frank. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Annie Bowers is the chief content officer for Panoply, of which the GabFest is part of Network. I was trying to make that whole sentence, see if I could turn it with a prepositional phrase, and I couldn't. The GabFest is, in fact, part of the Panoply Network, though. And you can check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Our show page is Slate.com slash GabFest. It has links to what we talked about today. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash GabFest. Our Twitter feed is at SlateGabFest. Our email address is GabFest at Slate.com. And you should subscribe to the GabFest on iTunes, leaving a comment and rating while you're there. For Jamel Bowie, I'm David Plotz. We'll talk to you on Friday. Bye-bye.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C.,